Okay, I'm loosening up now, children. Wow. Welcome to Wednesday Night Musical Osmosis, where intelligent, dissonant thought meets melodic, euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, broadcasting to you as always from the shadow of Hurricane Mountain here in Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my percussively proficient co-host, all the way from Charm City. <laughs> Odell, are you hearing that in your sleep now? I say it so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I even try to say it. I'm not, I, st- I still can't say it that well. <laughs> Is it like uh, rubber baby buggy bumpers? That's it. <laughs> A tongue twister. Um, and lurking in the background, as always, uh, the girl who works the magic today, because we've had some international Skype nonsense going on, is Dee. Yeah, Dee, do you wow. have any hair left? Or have you ripped it all out of your skull? Uh, no, it, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, as you know, our, you're gonna have to start paying Rachel um, royalties for that. I am. I've taken her catchphrase and made it my own. Um, and now all day, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. All righty. I'm, I'm sure you you're going to be muted through most of this episode because every time we talk, we're going to click. Oh, great. Yeah, that's me. All righty. So we'll send D back to her cubby hole. Let me go over a couple things real quick. Um, next episode, we are having Chaz Tolliver from the booze on Odell. Did that video blow your mind yeah. or what? Oh, I know. Really, really good. I, I, that's the first time I've heard of them. So that was really, really cool. Um, what you sent over. So yeah, cannot wait to talk to them. I have not seen a I have not seen a cat ooze sexuality like that since Prince. <laughs> that guy is yeah, dripping with charisma. <laughs> I can't wait to like pick his brain. Um, I know we're not doing news anymore because we've got that new segment with Apollo's son where he goes through the process, and we'll talk about that later on in the show. 
But I did right. want to mention this because it is music related. I guess there was a campaign gearing up for Trump's trip. I think he's already over there. And um, oh yeah, he's there. <laughs> yeah, and um, they were gearing up. They were sending out. I forget who was sending it out, but somebody had a campaign going to bring back American Idiot by Green Day, and I didn't realize that song came out in two thousand and four. And it was about George yeah, man. Bush. I thought that song was like last seven or eight years at the longest. No, it came out in 04. And, it, and then they did a Broadway musical off of that bad boy. Wow. So, yeah, it's been out for a while. Yes. Yeah. So what do you think about this? You know, I talk to a lot of people and they think like America's never been more respected than now. But we are literally, except for like Russia and Saudi Arabia, people are hating on America now. Because of this guy. They've got baby Trump uh, loon that's going to be flying over in the UK. And like I said, American Idiot is now up to number one on a bunch of different charts. What do you, how do you get people to believe that this guy is fucking destroying our reputation and credibility worldwide? Well, the the problem is, I I feel the majority is, is just his base is so loud and angry all the time that that's all you hear. So it's so frustrating because you have, a majority of people that are literally like the world is looking at us and saying, what is your problem? I mean, I, fortunately I, I was over in, uh, uh, England last, this time last year. And, and that was one of the questions was, you know, they were going through the whole Brexit thing. And, and of course we were going through this Trump thing. So it was, it was just the common shaking of heads at each other. Like, wow. It's an outside down world. Yeah. And it's just unbelievable. I know a handful of years, they, um, over, over, I think it was, uh, I think it was like killing in the name of, or something like that from Rage Against the Machine. They did a whole push because around Christmas time, because of the whole Simon Cow, uh, whatever European idol or whatever was, you know, those music, that music was really just tipping the charts, popping the charts. And, uh, and there was a very similar campaign like this. They basically were like, no, we're tired of this. So all these people just pushed to have. Uh, Rage Against the Machine, Killing in the Name of, hit number one on the chart, and Rage actually went over there and, and played this huge show. They got back together specifically for that show. Well, and, I've been pushing this name, it. and I hope it catches on. Um, I sh- maybe I should copyright it, but I've been for a year. I've been talking about weaponized creativity. Get out there and be creative, yeah. because that's how you're going to reach people. I think this American idiot thing is a resounding example of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look around and you just look at the disdain that people have just and it's so funny because unfortunately, for years, the United States has always it's been it's been going toward that. I think we had a break (laughs) when Obama was in office. But even when Bush was in office, people used to be like, what are y'all doing? And then and then it sort of, you know, we got the respect back and then all of a sudden. We went from how do you go from what, this guy to this guy in a, in a span of an election, and and then and, and you can see it from the leaders. It's like what are you doing? You're you know you're totally isolating yourself or trying to. You're picking fights with the wrong people. You 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 praise murderers and 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 human rights killers, and but yet you know it's just it's. I don't, I, dude. It's a I, sad state of I, affairs. All right. It, it, it really, really is. 
I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. Our guests will be on hold no. all night. Uh, so let's get tonight's yeah. guest in here. Speaking of the UK, tonight's guest, his music has spanned six decades. It encompasses every yeah. genre from blues to souls to ska. Some have even said it, it has a little bit of a punk rock element. I happen to agree with that. Mm -hmm. He was in the yeah. first um, interracial bands in London, and they have a great colorful stage presence that a lot of people have credited as a precursor to glam rock. A legend, but yeah. more importantly, a true gentleman from the equals, and now so what, Derv Gordon. Derv, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Good, good. Hey, they're awesome, man. Still alive and kicking. Well, that's all any of us can there ask you go. for. And, you know, I got to um, thank you for calling in. I know it's 1 a.m. over there in London, so I want to thank you. We really appreciate you staying up late with us. Uh, actually, I normally, I know, I'm normally awake at this time anyway because uh, uh, before I go, go to sleep, I always listen to music. Oh, nice. I, I find it extremely hey. soothing. Hey, Derv, I just want to thank you so much for uh, sending me all the links to, to the different songs, man. My kids, absolutely. Like, last night, I think you sent me two or three links, and I was just playing them back to back, to back while I was uh, giving my girls their baths, and they were just having a blast, man. So <laughs> thank you so much, man. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm, I'm pleased that your kids like you. I can't say the same about mine. Ha-ha. <laughs> 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 All right, let's start with this, because this is what I really find intriguing. After 50-plus years you've been in this, 50-plus years, you have such an amazing and influential career, and we'll talk about some of the people who have done covers who have been influenced by you. Looking back at this 50-plus year career, are you happy with your place in music history or do you feel a little bit cheated? Because I know a lot of people have said the Equals never really got their due. Um, well, people say that, but uh, I've been happy for 54 years. So, um, I mean, uh, I've always loved music. As far as I can remember, I've loved music. I've always wanted to to sing, and I've, I've been able to do it for 50-odd years. So uh, I'm happy. I'm happy. Are you happy with the legacy? With your musical legacy? Yes, I am because I mean um, I, I I'm still performing, and right. it still amazes me that uh, people who could be my grandchildren, uh, uh, fans uh, of, of my music, songs I've written, songs songs I've sung. So you know, I, I I feel that I've achieved something in life. And, well, you absolutely uh, have, and not just um, yes, you into have. it. They're elated. I watched some of these So What um, videos that you sent over, and the crowd, just 20-year-old girls who look like Little Sky or Little Mod Punk girls, are just smiles on their face singing your lyrics back to you. That is powerful. That's right. That's right. I mean, uh, my, my aim in life is to make people happy, and I've been able to, to do that. So, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not bitter about anything. I mean, I'm happy about it. As you said, we, we were the first... Um, interracial band to um, have um, uh, an international single and uh, a number one in, in loads of different countries. And um, when we started, people said it, it wouldn't work because black and white, it just, it just wouldn't work. Uh, so we right. proved them wrong. It has worked. And since then, there's been a number of other bands, that, that, that interracial bands that's been successful. 
But uh, I mean, I, I don't even look at it as interracial. I mean, you know, to me, people are just people. You know. Good. I mean, good. Yes. You want yeah. Amen. Yourself, amen. You want to consider yourself white and superior, or black and superior, or black and inferior, or white or, or inferior? That's your problem. You know, to me, people are just people. They're nice people, and then this some people are not very nice. You know, but uh, I, I, to me, color, color, color doesn't really really matter. I wish more people thought like you, Derv. And um, when the band started out, because let's give us some context here, you were an immigrant from Jamaica, the other half of the band, and you and your brother, actually, Lincoln, the other half of the band were immigrants as well. You put this band together, which really the band itself was kind of an uh, my, act of rebellion. Myself and my brother uh, are from Jamaica. Right. Eddie, Grant, Eddie Grant is from British Guyana at the time. It's from Guyana. And the other two guys were, were Londoners. They're English guys. Gotcha. Well, when you started the band, when you originally got together, did you purposely set out to make an interracial band? Or did you just put a band together and you were just going to play with the people who were best suited to play with you? I knew uh, a neighbor of mine uh, who, was, uh, who had a guitar. And uh, oddly enough, he was from India. And uh, I and my, my brother were, as you said, from Jamaica. But we were the th only, we were the three sort of non-white people in our sort of local neighborhood. And uh, he, okay. heard of a, he heard of a band being put together by John Hall, the drummer, who was white, uh, who lived about a mile away from us, and uh, asked, uh, would we li like to go along and, um, you know, get involved? So we said yes, myself and my brother, and this other guy uh, from India, Eddie. And uh, we went along, we met John. And at the same time, um, Eddie Grant was there uh, because Eddie Grant and John Hall, the drummer, went to the same school. They vaguely knew each other. And uh, we started to, to attempt to play because none of us could really play. Uh, but we were learning, learning on the job. And um, the, the guy who took me there decided that he was far better than uh, a musician than the rest of us myself, Eddie Grant, to my brother, and John Alder Drummer. So he was going to take a break because he was more interested in girls. And he was going to take a break <laughs> and, we carry on. and when we catch up, then uh, we, he would rejoin Pat Lloyd one night um, in, a, in a youth club. And boastfully, I said to him, he said to me, what do I do? Uh, because he was in one group, I was in another group of people, not group music, musical group, just groups of people that we hung around with. Right. Uh, we didn't particularly and, like it. And didn't you guys get in a fight? Wasn't there like a brawl? Yeah. Well, there was sort of a scuffle, yeah. But uh, myself and Pat Lloyd got talking. So I'm saying, he said to me, what do I do? I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a singer in a group. And I said, well, what do you do? So he said, well, nothing really. But uh, my dad's just bought me a guitar. So I said, oh, well, that's great. He said, because we need another guitarist. So hence we started two rhythm guitars and uh, one lead guitar and bass and vocals that that was it that's how we started we we wanted to be a blues band but uh, then when you listen to uh, you know the real blues artist we thought well maybe not you know <laughs> blues is serious stuff you know <laughs> right we, yeah yeah so we decided to write our own stuff which uh, uh the idea was that if you write your own stuff perform your own stuff people can't really say it's bad because it's yours you know so hence the hence the how we got ourselves together yeah wow what a legacy 
Um, let me ask and it's you. It's a unique style too. Yeah, that's a good point, Odell, and um, that's kind of where I'm going yeah. with this because you guys have crossed so many genres, and also being an interracial band covering all these genres, having so much diversity in the band musically and just aesthetically. When you look at you guys, do you think that held you back at all, or do you think that diversity actually propelled your career? Um, well, I've always listened to music. You know, as far as I can remember, because my parents always played music. Um, we had a choice as, as children uh, for a television or for uh, what, what was called at the time a radiogram. Okay. And myself mm. and my brother voted for the radiogram. My sister voted for the television. So the majority won. So we got the radiogram first, about, about six months before <laughs> the television. So that, I was more interested in music than actually television. See, so uh, my father also had a very good friend who traveled, uh, who was a sailor, and he would brought, bring music from all different parts of the world. Wow. So my father also a big country fan. He also loved ska and jazz. You know, so there was always music in the house. So all this influence is, 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 you know, you're hearing it all the time. You know, and growing, growing up in Jamaica as well. I left Jamaica when I was seven years old. But when my parents left, we went to live on a farm, and on the farm there was a church, and they 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 had like a gospel type, uh, you know, Caribbean type yeah, gospel yeah. songs as well. I think it was called Sankey, you know, things like a little bit, a little more oil in your lamp, keep it burning, you know, that as well, that that, that sort of thing. So uh, and uh, you know, so music has always been in my life, and music from all parts of the world, you know. I mean, so um. Yeah, and it comes out in this the stuff that we write. I mean, the, Eddie's similar. Eddie's father was a musician as well. That's incredible, Odell. Hey. I remember when we were growing up, <laughs> you listen to him talk about all these different genres of music. When we were growing up, I remember I was a quote-unquote headbanger, and it was almost like an act right. of heresy when I bought a Public Enemy album. And all my friends are like, why are you buying a rap album and making fun of me? Or a Sting album, even. I bought Sting, Dream of the Blue Turtles. And my friends are like, what? Is I mean, it's really a different yeah. world, right, Odell, than how we grew up. Well, it was pretty cool. And I and I, and I I really, like, I can really get with what Dur was saying because I know, for me, being African-American, you know, I, I, I moved at the age of four from Landover, which was predominantly black, to Charles County which, you know, Nick, at that time, you know, the mid-70s, you know, Southern Maryland, so it was still a racially tentious uh, area. And to move into an all-white neighborhood and, and, and people, you know, getting it from both sides, like, you know, hey, why are you doing that? Why, why are you skating? Why are you listening to that? You it know, was always weird, right? Like, like a, it was Rocky always George weird. George was in Suicidal. I remember my friends was like, that band has a black guy in it. And it was like, and now it just seems ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's awesome because you know, growing up and just like they're saying, you know, meeting meeting people, you know, you know, I've known you know my best friend Ben since we were four or five, so we basically exchanged music and then just getting to know everybody around us. Once we got into high school and stuff, it was like, oh yeah, yeah, you, you know, we listen to this or we listen to that, and it wasn't a big deal. But yeah, nowadays it's great because you know, you know, yeah, people like Derv and what they did. Yeah, it just opened the doors to. So many more, you know, the freedom of music. And, and I really feel that like the UK and, 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 and Europe in a whole was always ahead of the times when it came to racial yep. uh, diversity That's anyway, why compared to, to what the United States. Well, the UK yeah. brought, yeah. brought a lot of your artists back, back to America to, to, uh, yeah. their music 
of America for it. The, the Rolling Stones, the Who, uh, the Beatles, you know, they brought... The Beatles, yeah. Your, your blues artist back, back, back to you. You knew nothing about John Lee Hooker, you know, uh, people like that, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's in, so true, Derb. So, so true. I mean, one, when I decided that I really wanted to, to take music seriously was we had a, um, a theater about uh, uh, a mile away from my home. And uh, we used to, we, we, we went there one night. We couldn't afford to go in, but we knew someone who worked there and he would open the door at the side of the building and we would sneak in. And the first concert I saw there was um, with Chuck Berry and Carl, pa Carl, Carl Perkins. You know, and seeing Chuck oh. Berry on, I thought, oh man, this is it. This is it. This is what, how we control the audience, the things that he did. You know, I thought, oh, and it looked so simple. I thought, this is it, you know. And I saw Otis wow. Redding, you know, James Brown, oh. you know, the American artists who were popular at the time, you know, performed there. And we were the support, support band there. So, and you, we learned a lot from these people as well. All right, well, let me, I want to hit a couple more things, and then I want to talk about So What. President Records, I had read a little bit of back and forth what happened with you guys. Why did you guys end up leaving that label? Uh, because we felt that they weren't doing, um, we, we weren't being, we weren't being, being paid the, the amount of royalties that we should have been paid. And like anything else, um, you're selling millions of records and you're not seeing all the money that's coming from it. So we decided it's time to leave. And we got an offer from CBS, which um, we couldn't, which was very, very difficult to refuse. I mean, a huge advance. So we decided to, to leave president. But then uh, president sued us and uh, we ended up in court. It cost an absolute fortune. And we had to go back and record some more stuff for President. But uh, it was basically that. Uh, you know, the first contract we signed with President was because we didn't know. We couldn't sign the contract. We were, we were too young, our parents. Because at the time in the UK, you had to be 21 to sign a contract. Uh, your parents would have oh, to okay. sign. And uh, our parents didn't know anything about mu the music business. Right. And our, our first contract was for, for house, well, for wholesale, which was totally wrong. It should have been retail. You know, it's a big difference. You know, the price the record sells for, not the price the record is made for. Right. We found that was wrong. So that, that's one of the reasons why we decided to leave. They, uh, they, uh, changed, offered us another contract, but it was not, not a lot better. And we also had, President was also, the pre President was a one man organization. It was, was an independent. And uh, he also had, his main business was publishing, music publishing. And he made a fortune from that. And um, so therefore, we, we wanted to write our, all of our own material. But he also published other things like Giddy Up a Ding Dong and songs like that. So we had to record those as well, even though we didn't want to. But he was making a fortune from that because he's publishing it as well. So uh, we thought, all oh, this is all wrong. So, you know, we wanted uh, a far better contract than that. And that's one of the reasons why we leave. Well, as somebody that's been in the music wow. industry for 50 plus years, what do you think about the way, I mean, record 
companies' powers, record labels' powers, have really been diffused over the years with YouTube and other platforms. Do you think it's better now that the record labels don't have as much power over people, over the musicians, over the artists? Or is it oh. not as good because there's so much of it out there, You, your voice can't be heard. Everybody's all over YouTube trying to do stuff. That's right. But, um, but also YouTube now has to pay royalties as well. You know, we, if we, I belong to two organizations that collects royalties worldwide because it's impossible for you to do it yourselves. We have a, 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 right. a society called Performance Rights Society who collect every time your record is played on the radio or on the internet or wherever, royalties is collected from there. And there's also another organization called PPL as well. They do a similar thing as well. If you perform any sort of performance you do, it's a live performance or whatever, it should be registered. Any um, any place in, in, in the UK that plays music has to be a, a member of, uh, of PRS and they have to pay royalties on the music that they play. And the artist collect will get, uh, if you're a member, you, you, you receive your royalties. And you've also got publishing royalties as well, which is separate as well. So you, you need to join all these uh, different societies and publishers in order to, to, to get your royalties. Wow, I mean, it's so much. Yeah. Like Apple fought it for, for years, you know, but eventually they gave in, you, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, it's a lot better now. It's a lot better now. I read that the Equals put out seven albums in four years, and I was just oh, wondering yeah, yeah, yeah. what the what the yeah. motivation was behind that. Was that the record label pushing you to do that? No, or we just guys... enjoy, no, we just enjoy write, writing songs and, and recording them. I mean, we, we we're not credited for producing on on a number of rec, uh, songs, but a lot of our stuff we produced ourselves. I mean, how we, how we got to to start recording was um, one night we were rehearsing in uh, Eddie Grant's house, and uh, a guy lived next door who was a singer, and he heard us rehearsing, and he heard us playing um, "Baby Come Back," and we just written it, and um, he he came over and said. You know, I like that. I, 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 I can hear you rehearsing and I like that song that you're playing. You know, who is it? Who is it by? So we said, well, it's ours. We, we, we wrote it. And um, he said, OK. He says, I'm a singer and I would like to record it. So we said, OK. And he says, I know um, a record company that I think would be interested in recording me uh, with that song. Uh, give me a couple of days. And I'll set up a meeting, and if you can come along, and you can play the song to the to the boss of the record company, I would appreciate it. So we said okay. A couple of days later, we got a phone. We he knocked it again on the door, and um, said um, I've set up a meeting. Blah blah blah. Would you like to come along? So we said yeah. We went along. We went to President Records, which. Uh, hadn't had a hit record that just started it was as i said earlier it was most it was mostly involved in music publishing he published a lot of famous songs rock around the clock i think was one of them and so on ah nice he, he bought oh wow yeah it, we boast about it bought it for 50 pounds or something and became a millionaire out of it so it's crazy you know, <laughs> we, 
we went along to President Records and we played. And the, their boss is a man called Eddie Kasner. He says, oh, I like that. He said, um, have you got any more songs? So we said, um, yes. He said, well, have you got enough songs to make an album? So we said, well, how many songs does it take to make an album? And he says, well, 10 or 12 songs. So we sort of looked at each other, lied, and <laughs> said, okay. <laughs> we had about five or six songs. And he says, ah, he says, by the way, you, the singer, you are the person I want to sing these songs, not the person who brought us there, which um, I felt sad for about two seconds. Uh -huh. And he said, I'm going off to America. And in those days, he didn't fly. He went to he went off to America. He went on the Queen Mary, I think it was. And that that take a couple of weeks. He said, when I come back in two or three weeks' time, we'll you know we will start recording. He also had a he also owned two recording studios. And in we went to the recording studio on the first album, The Unequaled Equals. I think it, mm -hmm. it took us about about four days, and also we had a uh, the producer on on Equal Equals is a man called Tony Clark, but he was moonlighting because he was actually a Decca producer, and he would work for Decca during the day and produced us during the night, and uh, because we were just left school or st some of us are still at school, I mean work we could we could we could record during the night it wasn't a problem. And uh, we took about four or five days and recorded the first album. And we were one of the first, I think we were the first group to have a top ten album before having a hit, uh, before having a hit single. And that was wow. the only On that album was Baby Come Back and Hold Me Closer. But at the time, Baby Come Back wasn't the lead, the lead song, song. The lead song in there was uh, I Won't Be There, which was the first single. And then hold me closer. Now I won't be there. Was a hit in Germany, so we went off to Germany. We did okay. the, the TV show there, and then um, they decided to release Hold Me Closer as the follow-up. But then a disc jockey in Germany decided he preferred Baby Come Back, and uh, he flipped it. Baby Come Back became number one in Germany, and eventually worked its way back to the UK and became number one there and then all over the continent and the rest of the world, wherever. And that's it. So that was the first wow. album. We just kept writing and so on. So, so Derv, uh, the other thing that you guys are really known for was your fashion sense. So yeah. how did that come about? Who, who was the one, uh, was, it, did everybody, was everybody into just like, check out these yeah. threads or was it one of those things where it was like a couple guys were really into the fashion and, and you had to pull the other ones along or was it like everyone just really just jumped on board with the, the with the well, uh, it, way you guys dress? Being from the Caribbean, you know, um, we like colorful stuff and yeah. I, we, we were friends with, um, with, uh, with a tailor and he would show us different color materials and we would tell him how we want it made, and that's that's it. We a lot of people think that we went to Carnaby Street. We didn't go to Carnaby Street. We went to a a, a, a tailor off Carnaby Street, and he, he was incredible. You would walk in in the morning, you'd have the materials, you'd, you'd go for a design, 
and uh, by the next day it would be made. Uh, it was costly, wow. but it was made. And we didn't have one of anything made. You would always have two or three of it because a lot of your stuff was torn off on stage anyway when you were performing. So, you know, okay. we and we designed, uh, we designed our own clothes. Yeah. No one told us what to do. We just designed. And we didn't even consult each other. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's how we thought we things. But we didn't actually, if anything, we hid things from each other. Because the, the, one of the things that would really annoy me would be to stand, be standing on stage performing in my stuff that I've just designed. And somebody was standing in front of me wearing the same thing. Now, that would really pee me off. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to be different. I have to be different. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. We got to wrap this up. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with So What and how this collaboration came about with you and Jason? Well, Jason uh, chased me down for a couple of years and I wasn't really interested. And eventually my wife persuaded me that, yeah, maybe you should do something together. And we decided he was (laughs) going to do a book on the equals. Uh, which he's still doing, <laughs> I think. I hope I live long enough for it to be finished. Yeah, and, I'm looking uh, forward to that. I looked it up the other day and couldn't find it, yeah, so I was we, guessing it wasn't out yet. Yeah, we got together, myself and Jason. We're like two peas in a pod. I mean, the guy really knows about the equals. He really knows his music. And uh, last year, we did. Uh, I made uh, five trips to the States and performed with So What? And uh, as I said, you know, I just love performing with them because I was getting to a stage where I was getting really a bit fed up with being on the road or whatever. But uh, so what is just put new life into me, you know. And love the working. vibe, the energy level is just through the roof. I mean, when I watched you guys play, and like I said earlier with the audience, you guys, I can just tell that you're feeling a new energy. Oh, yeah. I just It, it, it reminds me of the early days of the Equals, actually. Playing with those guys, and they really know their music. They're really, they're incredible musicians. We're about to do a uh, a three four week tour of Europe uh, starting in October, and I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I wanted to come back to the States this year, but um, uh, there's a problem with uh, with schedules and so on, so I wasn't able to. But next year I'll definitely be back in the States. Uh, We also intend. Uh, Japan and Australia and blah 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 as well next year as well. Yeah, I had wrote you oh, because wow. I was right. floored when I heard up until last year when you were playing with So What, you've never even been to the States. And I was like, how no. is that even possible? No, because because of the race thing. I mean, we our management didn't think it was wise for us to go to the States in the in the 60s. Oh, see. Yeah. Uh, I, I agreed with them because I couldn't cope with all this uh no blacks and all that sort of business that you have, you have you have going on there. You know, we I've never had that problem. I've never had a racial problem. So wow. I, I, yeah, I well, things are kind of going back to the '60s here now. So I mean, we had problems <laughs> with South Africa and uh, what was Rhodesia. I mean, the yeah, uh, the record sleeves they wouldn't put a photographs on, on there. You know, we wanted to tour there. They wouldn't give us visas. So we went to Zambia instead, and the fans came over from South Africa and from Rhodesia or wherever to Zambia to to see us perform. Went there a couple of times. That's awesome. 
It's like taking cold to Newcastle, you know. I mean, Africa is where music started. We're taking our music there. I mean, I was so pleased. Exactly. Know? And yep. the fans are incredible. Yeah. All right, well, we have to get out of here. Um, Derv, I want to thank you so much for calling in tonight. Like I said, you're not also a legend, but a true gentleman. Before you get out of here, yes, tell sir. us what you've got coming up with So What and where we can find you online. So What, we will be all over Europe in October and November. Starting and you played with Chicago recently, right? Yeah, we played Chicago last year, yeah. We were meant to play this year, but uh, as I said earlier, we have a problem with scheduling. So um, uh, we, we, we will be playing Chicago again next year, most definitely. You know, I love Chicago. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah, we do too. <laughs> I love, oh, yeah. We I love, love Chicago, Chicago, Adele. No, I, I love yes, the we state. Do. We've done the East Coast, we've done the West Coast, we've done the Midwest. I love it all. Love it all. Great. Right on. And I know you're really open on your Facebook. In fact, that's where I reached out to you at. Is that where everybody can find you is on Facebook, Derv Gordon? That's where you can find me. If you want to know anything, just check me out on Facebook. I'm there. All righty. Um, Odell, this has been a Thank you so much, sir. with Derv, right? Yeah, this okay, is amazing. Odell. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, 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 uh, like I said, I, I have a, 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 it was like just listening to you guys and seeing you guys play, it brought back a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of music that, um, that, you know, I grew up listening to, you know, with my parents and everything and, and just the, the read your history and, and the read that where the band came from and even all the way to how you guys met and formed. It's, it's very similar to a lot of things that on my page and you never do that. And you're like, check this one out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was one of those things there where like, like just the, the friendship and the bond that you have with your, you know, your bandmates and friends, um, it's very similar to what we have as a group of friends here, so it's really special. And I absolutely uh, enjoy talking to you. Okay, black skin, blue eyed boys. <laughs> yes, that's sir. That's it. <laughs> 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 Be counted <laughs> and get those police off your back, baby. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll that's actually it. be ending this show that's with it. stand up and be counted. All right, you have a good evening. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Thanks, sir. You too. Thanks again, bro. All righty, guys. Welcome to our new segment called The Process with Apollo's Son, where rapper Apollo's Son will walk us through his journey and the creation of his upcoming album, It Can Get Better, start to finish. Um, Apollo, how you doing this evening? I'm doing well, Nick. How are you? How are you, Adele? Doing good, man. Yeah, it's been a hectic day, let me tell you. Things have been yeah, crazy yeah, on yeah. this end. All right, so let's jump right in here because this is our second segment. Where are you in the process this week? We're doing these every other week. You were at a, you said about twenty percent last time we talked to you. Where are you at in the process mm -hmm. right now of this album? I'd say I'm much closer to forty, maybe fifty. Oh wow! So you've you've yeah. got a lot of work done the last two weeks, huh? Yeah, I've done some recording. Uh, I actually have a recording session lined up for tomorrow, and I've been writing a good bit as well. So things are coming together really well. I'm very excited about the music. Now, what's the most frustrating component about this process? Because we've heard all the good stuff. Is it the technical end? Is it the lyrical end? Is it just trying to get the cadence correct and put all the lyrics to the beat? What's been the most frustrating thing in this process? 
picking the right words that satisfy the feelings that are going on inside of me in terms of working out whatever demons I got to work out. I'm trying to be as proficient, I'm sorry, pro prolific and um, in depth as possible. So every time I write a verse, you know, certain songs end up taking forever to write. For example, I recorded a song last week, settled on a final three verses, but I actually wrote seven for the song. So ah. I start out, yeah, I just keep writing until stuff starts to make sense because a lot of times I've noticed that the first verse is kind of, it's like a warm up verse, you know? And um, as I work more into writing on the song, on the track, on the beat, I end up getting a better feel for the flow of the song and the, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, words kind of band together a lot more easier as time goes on. So just finding the right words to match the beat because I really want to do it right this time. I'm not saying that I didn't do it right before, but there's a lot more pressure I'm putting on myself to, to make sure that every word counts. Well, I know you had said last time you were on that you had a song written and you actually scrapped it because you were like, I just don't feel that way anymore. So do you find yourself kind of scrapping things and kind of restating them and how you currently feel being, what is it, almost three and a half months of sobriety now? Uh, it's over four now. Is it over four? Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Man. Yeah. Congrats, yeah, man. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I appreciate it. It's It's been a bizarre journey going from that, you know, the, the seat of the drinker to a person who has kind of cleared the fog out of their brains and things like that. I've calmed down a lot in terms of, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm still, you know, I still get moments where I, you know, you feel strong emotions and things like that, but they're not accentuated as, as much as they used to be from the alcohol in my system. And I'm very thankful for that. Last time you were on, you were kind of talking about how you written a song and you scrapped the lyrics mm, and you're like, I just mm, don't feel this mm -hmm. way anymore. Are you scrapping a lot of right, lyrics right. as that cloud lifts? Or are you trying to stick with what you thought at the time you were originally putting those words down? It depends on the song. Some of the songs that were written were written at a, you know, an earlier time. And I did stick with them because they were fitting and they still are fitting to my life. I go through a lot of cycles, as I think we all probably do. And I write a lot, I write a lot of songs about these cycles that I personally experience and they come back around and recycle themselves and things like that. Now I'm trying to break some of these cycles because they've been toxic in my life. But um, so I hold on to the songs that are cyclical in nature that don't really have a timestamp on them. and then the other ones, you know, I'll scrap them, rewrite them, or I won't even record it until I feel settled on the verses and the words that I chose. And the last song that I told you, you know, I didn't feel <clears throat> that particular way anymore. So I ended up scrapping the song and I re-recorded it. Well, I went home, listened to it, didn't like it, completely rewrote it, completely changed the flow of the song and changed the title of the song and everything went recorded it and fell in love with it so i would w much rather record something you know and find out that it doesn't work only to find out what does work over the beat and do it again i'm not in a rush like i used to be you know i'm, I'm right. really trying That's to good. take my time and 
Yeah. So I want to make sure I'm putting out the best materials possible. I was just over at a good friend's house earlier today. Um, he was on some of my older music, Davis Love. Uh, he was on Finding Sunshine and some most of my solo projects other than the last one he was on. And we, we reconnected and um, it went really well. We found a song on the new album where we felt his vocals would mesh really well for a chorus. So I'm going to record my lyrics tomorrow. I'm going to send him the version with the lyrics on it and allow him the freedom to write a hook for me or for us, I should say. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then recorded at his studio at his leisure. So, you know, I started to write a hook and I was supposed to, well, I am recording tomorrow, but I was going to force myself to write a hook. I had some ideas, but when I went over there and heard Dave singing over the beat, I knew right then and there that the better uh, or the better choice was to place him on the chorus instead of myself. So, like I said, taking my time so we get a better understanding of the music over time, pick out the parts that don't work, what does. So when the song is done, we can we can sit back and hear it and be like, OK, this is what we wanted this to be as opposed to feeling regret later down the road about the record. And I've done that a lot in the past where, you know, I write, record it, uh, mix it, master, put it out. And then six months down the road, I'm just like, oh, man, mm -hmm. you know, I could have wrote that shit better or I could have. I know what that's like. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So get so I'm trying excited. to get that out of my system now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, it's, it's coming together. It's, um, we have all the, as it stands, we have all the beats chosen for the record. Uh, there might be one that, get swapped out yet but we'll see what other beats come in if um you know if they can replace it but there's 10 songs you know we'll have an intro i'm going to keep it short and sweet but uh, every song will be a song that when it's done it's something that i'm proud of it's not something where i'm like yeah you know that's cool i'm only putting on song putting songs on the record that i would listen to as a fan that's, well, you sound laser focused, but the thing is, is there's yeah. this ongoing artistic argument, right? Where it's good to go into the studio, be laser focused like you are right now, have your shit together. But then there's the other side that says, Jim Morrison never could have wrote those songs sober, dude, that you're actually <laughs> a better writer the more fucked up you are. So what has the experience yeah. been like writing when you're drinking, when you're when you have that cloud, as you say? As opposed to now when you've totally, the skies have cleared and you've got that perception and that focus. Um, when I would write, if I was drinking, it would come out a lot more aggressive in terms of just kind of pointing fingers at people and blaming others for things that were self-imposed in my life. I wasn't taking responsibility for what I would mm -hmm. contribute to situations in my life. I would just... I was so pissed at the world that I would drink. And that's what, that was what would trigger that anger portion. You know, you have the people that can go and they can drink and they can like laugh and enjoy their night. And you have the people that get all rowdy in other ways. And then you have the people that get really angry and start fights and all that. I was a little bit of everything. So if I was in, an in an, a positive environment and surrounded by good people that build you up, the outcome would be wonderful. But if I would be in a situation where, there would be negative people that test 
others' boundaries, it was very easy for me to let loose on those people in terms of my words. And, you know, I've said things that I'm not proud of to other people. And I know we all do it. You know, everybody has done it in their life. But I take it very, very hard on I probably take it harder than the person that I said it to because it's not in my nature to, to harm. So when I would drink and write, the writings would be with the prop, you know, I'd say with the intention to harm. Um, and now, and it didn't always come out like that. I, I probably scrapped a lot of the, the music that I've written when I was drinking and nothing really good came out of that. So, um, you know, but now it's even more important for me to, and I mean, I, I'm speaking my peace and my truth on the, on the record, but I'm doing it in a way that I also take responsibility for things too throughout the whole record. So I would say that's the difference is that I'm a more responsible writer, you know, like drinking and driving kind of thing, drinking and writing. You can kind of have the same outcome, you know, mental car accident, and you don't really think about who you're harming when that happens. And, you know, you can use words, that you know trigger other people and strike them in places that really hurt them when you're drinking and now that i'm sober you know i do have stories i need to tell but i'm trying to do it with an approach of i really hope the the folks that are involved with some of these stories learn from their encounters with me as opposed to feeling like spiteful towards me i hope that they learn lessons from being around me and that going forward in their lives they treat others with yeah i a think little we more all hope respect. that yeah and everything yeah. yeah. and that burns and that burns you out too man it, it gets exhausting to drink and and try to write i, I find and, and record after a while that's it's it's a short shelf life when you do that because you know, when yeah. you do listen to that, when you're sober, you're like, what the heck was I thinking about? Or what? The <laughs> well, to be fair, Odell, I don't think early morning punk songs from our old band, even Steven, could have been written sober. I mean, there was yeah. a lot of teenage angst, punk rock angst in that when we wrote that. And I know you weren't on the album, but you went and toured around with us after Paco left. And I think that was definitely an yeah. album. I couldn't have, I couldn't have wrote that album if I was like some straight lace architect. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not saying that either, but when you look back at it and you look at a lot of bands that, and artists that, you know, that sobered up after they played and they're like, man, the horizons and, the, and, and, and our views are so much clearer now that when I look at that, I'm like, holy cow, I'm so happy that chapter of my life is closed and I can move on mm -hmm. from that. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Because as you get older, yeah, early morning punk songs was something that you did in your 20s. And, 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 and even some of the guys in that band were, you know, teenagers going into their twenties. And so, so, so yeah, your mindset's so different. Yeah. So when you get to be in your thirties <laughs> and in your forties and all of a sudden you have kids and, and you're, and you're a musician, you know, yeah, like I you're doing that. that album today. There's no way. Yeah. Your mindset, you look back and like, wow, okay, that was cool for that moment. But now, you know. I'm so happy that I'm not in that place because it was a very exhausting period of my life where, mm -hmm. like you said, it was a fog. It's like, you know, sometimes people go into that and they're like, man, half the stuff I don't even remember doing, you know, when I, re I don't remember mm -hmm. that because they're, they're so I have, like, intoxicated or high or whatever. That happened in mm -hmm. those days. 
If it wasn't for me and April, yeah. we wouldn't have any history of what happened. We took so many pictures. Sometimes I yeah, looked through those yeah. albums and I was like, I forgot that person existed. Whatever happened to that person yeah. or that club or that place? It's I'm so yeah. happy we took so many pictures back then. Well, and I think it's all part of the process, man. That even if it, even if you did yep. write a record under the influence of something like that was supposed to happen in that moment of time, in the way that it yep. should have. Even if you have some regrets or things like that, that's how you felt at that moment, regardless of what it was influenced by. And you know, so it's I try not to hold things that I've said in the past against myself because they were relevant at the time and they time stamped that part of my life and that journey. You know, it's just now that I have more direction in terms of the way this album is going to flow and lay out. I'm being more mindful of the things that come out of my mouth because I mean, I'm still going to say some stuff that I'm, I'm sure someone along the line, because all, because all of my music is very personal that someone along the line will probably get offended, but, that's, well, this is America. You won't escape that. That's just, yeah, that's just, that's just how it goes. You know, you people, we have interactions and they're not always positive. And some of us, you know, feel things on a very deep level and we feel the need to express that I am one of those people. So if I have a negative encounter with someone to the point where it was detrimental to my soul and my health, you know, if you go through a situation like me, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but in the, in the first quarter of, 2018 i lost all but 40 pounds and uh you know partially oh, wow. from not drinking but yeah and it, it, uh went and saw a doctor and they, they called it like the post it, he called it my post breakup diet or something like that i said well, whatever you want to call it that's fine but you know that those situations that were going on around that time they hit me like bricks so i gotta talk about them because if not they're going to destroy me inside or they're going to lead yeah. me down a path of wanting to drink again. And then I drink to deal with those issues. And then mm. before you know, it, I understand that. All over again. I'm yeah. a guy that therapy. has to get it out too. It's therapy. Yeah. It's the thardis. Yeah. Yeah. I have some, I have a, I have a couple friends that I, I really trust their opinions of, of the music that I make. They've been listening to hip hop music for a very long time. They know all the, the legends, the classics. I mean, these are DJs and, and crate diggers and people that really know their stuff. And a good friend of mine said that so far, everything he's heard, it truly sounds like a therapy session. This whole album is, is sounding like a therapy session to him. So, but in a I good way. I think those are the know, best works of art, too, because people <laughs> loved Eminem when he came out because he was so yeah. honest about his upbringing. And I remember my mom. Years ago, she was like, oh, that Eminem, he's just a sham, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, nobody writes a lyric. Remember when Ronnie died? You wish it was me. Well, I am dead to you. You know and say so, Like, nobody writes that fucking lyric mm-hmm. if it didn't actually happen. Right. Yeah. And that, that's mm-hmm. what people mm-hmm. gravitate to. They want to hear that. All yeah. right. Well, let's talk about this new track. Um, I sure. know it's the first track on the album. It can get better. Um, I yep. believe the track starts, the song starts off, what's the lyric it starts with? On February 21st, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah, well, February 21st, my life snapped. Right. Clap. Yep. And, uh, and it really set the tone so for the album. And that's important, right? To set the tone right out the gate. Yep. Everything that everything on the album in terms of the song layout after that, from there on, is pretty much in chronological order in terms of 
my cycles of grief over the you know the last four or five months of my life in terms of you know I'm I'm still dealing with resentment that I carry from relationships from years ago um, and situations that I'm really trying to let go and to allow myself to move forward in a positive place because if not you know you hold on to your past what's going to happen it's going to chain you to your past even if the people that were involved with that past aren't even around anymore and it just does no good to hold on to those things. So um, I wanted to document, you know, all the things that I experienced, starting with the actual song, It Can Get Better, that being the breaking point. And then the rest of the record goes through the ups and the downs. And when I'm done with it, I've made a promise to myself that I'm not going to revisit those, those chapters anymore. I'm going to move on and I'm going to move forward uh, because it's time. I spent way too much dwelling on on things that, I may have done that hurt others that I've apologized for countless times and I've never gotten any sort of true apology from certain people. And, you know, some people are still in my life. Some people are long gone. But the one common theme is that I have explicitly expressed how apologetic I was towards these situations. And I didn't get any sort of apology for things that were done to me. So I had no way to put those feelings to rest. And I had to, when I made the decision to work on a new record, that's where all of that resentment and all of those negative, you know, channels that were going on inside of me got poured onto the record. So it can get better. The song is basically just saying, I actually had a friend hear the chorus and the chorus is it can only get better. It can never get worse. And he was like, well, that's not true. It can always get worse. And I said, but in my heart, in my head, I was at my worst. You know what I mean? By the end of... Or you at least you need know, to think that because you're like, it can't get worse. Because that gives you something to build right. on, right? Right. Right. And I could so definitely that, relate too because one of the hardest lessons that I've had to learn in my life is sometimes <clears throat> you don't get fucking closure. And I'm always looking no. for accountability and closure. And sometimes you yeah. just can't have it. And you I'm like, but, it. Yeah. I'm, I, but I deserve it. But life doesn't give a shit if you deserve it. You're going to have to be all right with not getting that closure. And that's part of being accepting of who you are, you know, acknowledging that we are in control of, you know, I'm in control of my actions, my words, my thoughts, my patterns. I am not in control of anybody else's on this planet. So somebody that may have hurt me really deeply could view that as nothing to them. No different than, you know, stepping stepping on my, my shoe or something in public. They don't view it as this big, massive, chaotic breakdown and vice versa. So, you know, the only thing that I am trying to do right now is take responsibility for my actions and take responsibility for my words. That's and all utilizing we can do. my voice. Yeah, utilizing my voice as a way to help others heal because the last thing I want is for this this planet's already damaged and fucked up. And the last thing I ever wanted to do was contribute to that mess. I'm a firm believer that we get back what we put out. So if I go out and I act like an asshole towards someone, I might ruin their day before you know it. They're acting like an asshole to two people. Those two people start acting like assholes before. And before you know it, the whole planet's infected over something as stupid as like somebody not saying thank you for you holding a door open for them at a shopping mall. Yep. It's like Henry Rollins used to say, don't decorate the room with your bullshit. Mm -hmm. It's all about decorating. So I want... All right, well, let's play the song. It can get better. 
February 21st, my life snapped. I gave so many years away, I'll never get back. Now I'm looking forward at a portrait that is hard to see. I'm asking everybody that I love, what is wrong with me? I'm looking to the left, looking to the right. I'm looking at myself in the mirror, just like I wanna fight this darkness that I carried. I have buried in the back of my mind. Next to the real estate that is prime, then it opened up every unspoken cut, open eyes sewn shut. So what, baby boy, grow up? Yeah. So now I'm getting thrown and I'm spitting every grit until they're smitten when it hits home. Yeah, it can only get better and I'm looking at these angels like I need a love letter. Better wear a sweater cause we going down the rabbit hole. It's been five years since I touched base with your soul. It can only get better, it will never get worse. So I punch through the sky demanding my worth. And now I see through the shit damaging me. In the place of a child is the man you see. It can only get better, it will never get worse. So I punch through the sky demanding my worth. And now I see through the shit damaging me. In the place of a child is the man you see. Dated Lizzie for a while, yeah. Now we're cool, but this other chick fucked up my shit and set a fire too. Deep within the ashes, guess a lion grew. Found papyrus, now my iron's wearing iron suit. Uh. When class is in session, you better find a stoop. With ramen, I'm priming, so when it's time to shoot, I never miss a seven kiss. Maybe be a better gift to every person in my path until I crash into a cliff. I'm back, and I got nothing left to lose. I'm a wrecking ball, so I'm wrecking any record that I choose. My method is collecting all defective views. To paint a picture to relate until my soul renews its overdue. Now respect is what I gotta earn. The writing tragic pages, setting claims I gotta burn in the urns. The buried underneath the tree. So when the seed grows, it's the lesson that you see. It can back. only get better, it will never get worse. So I punch through the sky, demanding my worth. And now I see through the shit damaging me. In the place of a child is the man you see. It can only get better, it will never get worse. So I punch through the sky, demanding my worth. And now I see through the shit damaging me. In the place of a child is the man you see. I spent too many years with the tears on my face With a mask and grace Feeling like a dying flower in a vase Maybe it was fate Maybe it was not Maybe I'm crazy Maybe I'm the one that God forgot Maybe I'm the person that I always wished I was I write because I hurt So in my verse I'm always spitting blood huh. Forgetting what my mission was Reposition my vision So now I'm getting buzzed off the love And all the people that surround me It took a long time dog But now I found me Fuck the past and all the shit in which she promised Every single word that came out of mouth was never honest Now I'm feeling silence in this empty bed where I sleep You reap what you sow and you sow what you reap All this talk is cheap And you're racking up the bills I'm in a higher bracket now I'm rapping with the quill And I'm back It can only get better, it will never get worse So I punch through the sky demanding my worth And now I see through the shit damaging me In the place of a child is the man you see It can only get better, it will never get worse So I Punch through the sky, demanding my worth. And now I see through the shit damaging me. In the place of a child is the man you see. I gotta tell you, man, um, I listened to that song about three times and I wrote you and I was like, hey, I really liked your last track, but I absolutely mm-hmm. love yeah. this track. And once again, you're bleeding onto the track. I can hear what you've been through just in the whole tone and of your voice. I can just hear what you've been through. And I think that resonates with people or will once it goes you know, out to the public. 
Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. Um, that that particular song was the beginning of falling apart and uh, kind of bringing folks up to speed in terms of people that listen. I mean, it's you know, I don't know what type of following I have anymore. I kind of lost the pulse of that through the years, and I'm honored for everybody that does listen to the music, but. Uh, and I don't want to be vain in any way, shape or form, but that's to bring people up to speed that do follow my music. That's why I've made references to, you know, it's been five years since I touched base with your soul right. um, and, and things of that nature. So that, that song is trying to encompass the falling apart portion of things that starts off the whole album. Um, it was actually the first song that I recorded for the new album. And it's the first song that I wrote when I decided to put all of my energy back into music as opposed to uh, my grief and, and feeling bad about myself and shit, because that doesn't get anybody anywhere, you know? And just to give some context to the listeners, this is a rough track. It hasn't even been mixed down yet, right? Yep. Yeah, so Correct. it's, it's yeah, going to sound is. a little bit different once, you know, it gets pressed and gets <laughs> out there to the masses. Yeah, the beat... The beats aren't formatted just yet, so they'll probably get switched around at, at certain parts. You'll hear drums go away and come back. You'll hear DJs in, on certain songs, you know, throwing cuts. And I'll have different backup vocalists and, you know, maybe some more instrumentation, things like that. So you're getting, like, a very, very rough version of it. But it was, when I walk away from the recording booth, if I hear it, and it sounds good as an initial recording, I keep it. If it's something that when I walk away, I'm like, uh, I either start over or scrap the song. So this is the first song that I had recorded for an official album in years. This, you know, I've done some recording here and there throughout the last couple of years, but this was the first one where it had the intention of going on a record. And I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised that my flow is different. It's, changed it's more aggressive it has more of a hip-hop edge to it as opposed to strictly out of the heart i mean it's still from the heart but it also has that like oomph behind it this time so i'm very pleased with how it has come out so far well so far so good man you've got my approval Odell. Yeah, man. i mean what yeah what else can we say about it like i said that first song i really liked but this song i was knocked out of my fucking socks good. everything yeah, like i the the yeah, the content, the the beats. I, I know you, uh, the beats are great, uh, go perfect, right. and then your flow with the with the beats. It's like I can tell you're definitely like I remember you were saying the last time we talked how, you know, you were getting a boatload of beats, but you know there were certain ones you knew. Okay, yeah, I gotta use yeah. this one. I gotta use this one. No, yeah, and you can definitely you can definitely hear that. Yeah, yeah I'm very I'm very thankful. Uh, to be able to record again. It definitely has been the one thing that has brought me back to at least a semi-normal life because my life is still crazy. Every day is an adventure and I'm always going down rabbit holes and things like that of, you know. Could you imagine if you and, checked out of music completely and all this happened while you were working at like fucking Jiffy Lube or something? Uh, I, yeah. I would probably end up in a hospital somewhere to be completely honest with you you know i probably would have broke down and <clears throat> you know lost I, I i they call it um i had a friend uh who listens to a lot of very philosophical podcasts and he told me there was a term used for it they call it like a dark uh 
something a dark night of the soul or something like that okay uh basically mm-hmm. basically where the soul is darkened and and the tether that it has to whatever you want to call the source that brings light is gone and you're just kind of floating like a spaceman out in nothing not knowing who you are anymore and that was where i was headed i was on you know i was in that space i didn't know what to do i didn't know where i was going one minute i'm gonna pack up and move to the west coast and change my number and not tell anybody and then the next i'm going out and i'm buying flowers for strangers and giving those to people to help them i mean i was like i was truly manic you know going through these manic phases and stuff and now i'm finally at a place where i'm at least balanced where my lows don't go too low my highs don't go too high that i'm a lot more level you know and that just proves strength of will can do that. You don't have to go get fucking medicated and do all this crazy shit. I mean, I had a breakdown, God, probably about a year ago, and I just started working out, meditating, and someone's like, you need to go get some medication. You're all over the place. Yeah. And I was like, no, yeah. dude, I can fix this myself because I know myself, and I see what this yeah. is, and I fucking fixed it. Now, I'm always going to be kind yeah. of all over the place because that's just how I'm hardwired. But I have mm-hmm. enough consciousness within me to see what it is, and I could fix it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people should try to go your route instead of just taking, you know, I don't want to say the easy way out, but instead of just taking what would be considered the normal, the typical way out and going, hey, doc, can you medicate these fillings away? Because I don't believe yeah, in medicating. Right, yeah, you're, you're not, you're, yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not healing anything when you just, you're just, uh, mm-hmm. You're basically to band-aid, you know, to press. You're still, yeah, you're married. But, you know, you look at like football players, for example, you know, you know, to cover, the cover their injuries, they, you know, are hooked on medications that they were prescribed over and over until, and now they're out of their careers and some of them are in like chronic pain or some of them are mm-hmm. going off the deep end. And it's because, you know, they never actually fixed the problem. They just sort of change know, has to come it. from within. All right, let's end there because uh, yeah. we're getting run down here. It's getting late. Um, Apollo, tell everybody where we can find you online and we'll talk to you again in two weeks and see where you are in the process. All right. No doubt. Uh, you can find all my music at apollosun.com. Uh, it's all f- free for download. Uh, it essentially takes you to bandcamp.com. So you can go on bandcamp and do a search for my name. I'm all over social media, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Um, so you can do searches on there. My music's on Spotify and a lot and Amazon. And so you can do searches for Apollo Sun on there. Um, are these platforms right keeping now. the brand alive? Are these good for people like us that just kind of do independent things? Or is it better to hit the pavement, do you think, and just like pass, you know, demos out of the back of your truck like the good old days? Man, I, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's a combination of both. But I mean, you see, you know, you're seeing artists that are blowing up just off of YouTube videos and stuff, and they're not even leaving their basement. And so I think it's a combination of both. And I'm prepared for that this time around. Before I was like, you know, I'm just going to put this record out, try to talk to some labels um, to maybe help to push it a little further and then I'm going to leave it at that. But I'm pretty proud of the music and I really do feel that it does deserve a wide audience. So I may pack my shit up and hit the road and set up shows and talk to everybody that I can possibly talk to about the music and share it and spread it. And if that's what, that's I'm, gonna the do, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's so much yeah. better than just looking at pixels on a screen. All right. We're going to end there. Yeah. 
Apollo, um, I am so enjoying going on this journey with you. Thank you so much for including us. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. And we're going to end this episode with more equals. Um, Odell, what do you All think? Right. Stand up and be counted. I think it's a pretty rocking. I mean, it almost has. I mean, I know it has a more of a ska or reggae vibe to it. And like I said, uh, right. serves music. It just crosses so many genres. It's like mind. Oh, it does, man. It was. It's amazing. And it's funny. It's like you said. It's one of those bands that you could definitely tell. I mean, the Clash covered their songs for crying out loud. Willie Nelson. You know, when you get a band like the, yeah. When you get a band like the Clash covering your songs, you know you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and you know, I had said to Derv in the beginning of the episode, a lot of people say you never got your due, and he's totally happy with his legacy, and that's totally great. But they, they are a band yeah. that I feel like didn't get their due for the caliber of artists that they are. No, no. When you see them and you read, like I, one of my coworkers, he's an older gentleman, and um, he's a musician, and I told him that Aren't I was we so old now had, we don't get to call anybody older gentlemen i feel like i can't well, even say he's in that his mid, he, he's in his he's in his mid to late 60s so he's older than me right. <laughs> and uh but he i sent him one of the links to their music and then sent him the pitchfork article that we were looking at that we referenced a lot from and uh he was like man i totally forgot about them that they did that song because he he's big and like old like i mean he's seen them all too and um, he was like, I, I, he was like, I knew Eddie Grant, but I didn't know that they went back further than that. And before the foundations and before this band, before Sly and the Family Stone and all that. And he was just like blown away by it. I was like, yeah, it's, he, he, he's in love with them now. Yeah, sometimes like, we never them? see the foundation, <laughs> man. People don't pay attention to the foundation of the building. And that's the most important yeah. part. All right. Well, let's get out of here. That's we'll it. be back in two weeks with Chaz Tolliver from The Booze. I'm